0: From Immersive Labs, this is Cyber Humanity. Hello again, I'm your host, Chris Pace. Cyber Humanity is the podcast taking cybersecurity personally trying to get inside the heads of hackers, as well as putting our feet in the shoes of defenders. These podcasts essentially come in two flavours, either us ranting about themes close to the hearts of security types, or us chatting about threat and security stuff from recent weeks. This week we are only going to talk about one thing, in fact we're only going to talk about one man really, and that is Edward Snowden. You might be thinking, well Chris, that was seven years ago, why would we want to bother talking about him? And no one cares anyway, and it doesn't really divide opinion in any way, so what's the point in talking about it? (laughs) Well, actually, this week, news uh, has come from the US, the US Appeals Court, ninth district in the US, uh, who have ruled the warrantless telephone dragnet that secretly collected millions of Americans' telephone records did violate the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act and may very well have been unconstitutional. So that is to suggest that the very thing, or one of the very things at least, that Edward Snowden blew the whistle on on um has been deemed to be illegal by a court in the us so as that story was in the news we thought well we could revisit this and take a look at what happened in the story of ed snowden a little bit of a timeline we're also took talk a bit about the um the two the two movies the one documentary and obviously also the um uh oliver stone um What do they call them? What do they call uh, movies that are about people? Like a dramatisation. biopic? Was it a biopic? Do they call them a biopic? Biopic. But let's begin at the beginning because I won't pretend to be any kind of expert when it comes to this story at all. I've read some articles. I know a little bit of stuff. Um, I know that he uh, exfiltrated... Okay. that's a security word for you straight away um he exfiltrated um uh data from i just realized i haven't introduced any of you perhaps i'm just gonna do this on my own <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well actually chris you're the only one that can talk about this without without any kind of risk <laughs> um so like maybe you should just do the whole podcast so we'll just like boo and hiss in the
0: background i have no clearance clarence he's a hero boo a traitor yay
2: <laughs> I wonder which side you're on. Oh, did I set myself? I think I've gone too soon
0: should at least introduce my secret cyber squirrels, Kev Breen, Max Vetter and Paul Bentham.
2: No, I'm not here. I'm not here. Oh, no one's seen me. Nobody's seen me. (laughs) Can neither confirm nor deny the presence of Paul on the podcast. I do think we just have to
1: a little bit explain that this is going to be a bit like when we try to talk about SANS and uh, the NCC group Crest stuff. This is a little bit of a difficult podcast for at least three quarters of us because we've all at times worked for the UK government and can't really remember what we do or don't know <laughs> uh, officially and so we're probably just going to like quickly
0: google and then check before we say anything you've really um, presented the security and intelligence services in such a highly professional light oh, <laughs> during yeah. that statement it- I should also really point out <laughs> that we're
1: all techie geeks, uh, rather than like lawyers or PR or marketing or
0: professionals. <laughs> and we're definitely not hitmen, unless I forgot that I was a hitman. In which case, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm going to have a go at telling the
1: like basic story. So, 2013, Edward Snowden, uh, a contractor working for the National Security Agency, um, living in Hawaii. Um, actually I, I i really don't like him so bad i can't even give a unbiased uh intro he was a <laughs> systems ad, um, systems administrator, or systems architect um and he flew uh to uh hong kong and started talking to journalists about a load of data that he had extracted from classified systems and that was seven years ago and the people who disclosed that information to uh worked uh for the guardian newspaper the washington post and uh the Spiegel and uh, those journalists, um, irrespective of my view on the actual disclosure, did an incredibly good job of doing the investigative journalism on the reams and reams and reams of highly technical and complicated information to tell a story. Like I think you have, we have to acknowledge, irrespective of our views on whether it was a good way to achieve this, that has changed the internet, has changed the way the intelligence agencies in both the UK and the US uh, operate, and created seven years on a highly controversial debate about whether this guy was a hero, a whistleblower, a dissident, a traitor, or a patriot. And I think this podcast is going to um, <clears throat>
0: expose our individual views on, on those topics <laughs> one thing i yeah. do know um is that not only the impact on all of those landscapes but also uh the impact on the cyber security landscape as well i'm sure we'll get into um how the uh some of these revelations have impacted directly on the nature of threats that we have seen over uh over those seven years so that's one thing i do know about yeah, that's
1: a really fascinating angle as well actually like, so skipping all the way past all of this it was kind of popular a couple of years ago to have Snowden at your conference and i went to <laughs> this conference in <laughs> dublin and um and it, the whole thing like edward Snowden. there was a I mean, I don't even know why I went. It was like such a bad idea, but I went kind of a business development thing in an old role. And the the whole advertisement uh, of the conference featured the fact that Snowden was going to appear live. And I thought, you know what? This is really interesting. This is a cybersecurity conference. They're going to talk about the fact that this guy did the most famous insider threat data breach and how did he do it what was his uh, modus operandi how would he have been caught what should have the internal monitoring been like why was he able to download so much data why was that data not segmented etc 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 and actually what happened was and I should have known this because his picture his sodding picture was like literally the <laughs> full <laughs> size of the auditorium
0: <laughs> Paul, Paul do, you, do you are there moments? where you'd like us to let you know that you're doing it, or do you just want to <laughs> carry on doing it? What have I done? Rant. Oh, well, you, you're like, you're, spir- you're spiralling, <laughs> Paul. Fe- it's like we could see the beads of sweat. <laughs>
1: I'm I'm only at fortissimo. I'm going to go to <laughs> And so, so and this guy's face is so huge and I should have realized it wasn't going to be an intellectual debate about cybersecurity and inside the threat and data breaches. But actually what it was was this cybersecurity person literally worshiping Snowden on stage with all of us just watching which was like, how amazing look at all this data like you were you breached and how what a transformation was and what a hero you are like you did a massive data breach and we're a cybersecurity conference and you're not even talking about that bit what is wrong with you
0: okay so there it was <laughs>
3: but that, that is the angle where where we do have we can't it is safe to talk about the insider threat and and where if the conference didn't talk about it, maybe that's where we could t- and let let Paul maybe calm down a bit, and then we can talk about as an insider threat. Um, it is the that is the one <laughs> the the one thing that you talk about is oh we've got an insider that yeah or like the Snowden thing, uh, you know that's uh, and we can talk about the how how someone had access to that much data in a classified well. In, in any uh, terms, but especially in the classified um, environment, how we got them out, how it was so easy, all all those things that are actually really interesting to cybersecurity professionals, rather than and we'll get back to the whether it's right and wrong and and you know privacy issues later as well.
2: It changed the core of the internet. It's like it's regardless of what he what he whether you think he what he, what he did was right or wrong, like the impact the release of that information, the the understanding that. Um, Governments may be doing kind of dragnet activities, like completely changed the way uh, web servers talk to each other, the way like, organizations talk to each other, the way data encryption comes along. Uh, it's fundamentally changed all of that, uh, arguably for the better. Better for privacy, arguably worse for government agencies wanting to potentially intercept.
3: And I mean, in terms of encryption, yeah, end-to-end encryption. No one, no one would have known that term seven years ago. The the term end-to-end encryption now you see on every message you ever sent, and that is a massive change to what seven years ago everything was just unencrypted. And you know, whether you're a website or whether you're, you know normal HTTP websites around by the by the dozen, which has clearly helped us all. Now, from my kind of police hat, and and when we were going through this, when I was training people before. Uh, moving into government uh, you know the the police would say oh well they're using encryption so it's kind of impossible I I think it just moves the goalposts. if you're you have to monitor people yeah okay it's harder but you just have to then get better and develop new new kind of ways that you can do it so I do think it's in terms of the public it's definitely helped um, encrypt uh, everything we should be encrypting to stop the bad guys seeing it but obviously it's caused other issues for you know law enforcement and, and intelligence services as well.
0: Yeah, it's not. No, I don't think anyone has any. You know, a, any person has any problems with the concept of surveilling people for the purposes of stopping them doing nefarious stuff. I think some people do, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I think where the challenge has come with Snowden was that it was the uh, it was the addition of the word mass. Um, to surveillance that that really ca- that really caused the problem is it is the idea that they were basically eavesdropping on almost everyone, um, and that you know that, that 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 was bound to create that was bound to create uh, moral difficulties with those inside that organisation because let's not forget he wasn't the only one there were whistleblowers before Snowden who took a more official line perhaps they trod a little more carefully maybe for for other reasons so they weren't prepared to um they weren't prepared to quite put their um their toe you know their foot leg whole body right in the water um but they certainly made clear that there were things happening in that agency post 9-11 that they didn't like
1: i'm gonna i mean one of the really important Things that I should say is that I ha- I've watched the Oliver Stone thing. That's because Chris made me over the weekend
0: to prep for this. It was great though, wasn't <laughs> it, was good. it? We yeah, all it had good. a great time. It was great. I'm gonna
1: have to buy a new freaking rucksack because for some reason he's using my rucksack <laughs> in that film. <laughs> Bloody films cost me a fortune. I'd
0: love to tell you that I knew that and that's why I made you watch yeah, expense it.
1: Expense <laughs> a new rucksack. <laughs> it's, it's an actor. I, but I haven't watched the Citizen 4 one, so I don't quite, and I haven't read, like, I've read an extract from his memoir, and oh my actual God, <laughs> help like, if this, I don't know whether he's he he was crazy, and <laughs> then he's just got worse since he's gone to Russia. Or the fact that he's living in Russia in isolation, uh, in, in, in a totalitarian regime, uh, which obviously he doesn't like. But obviously he went, flew to when he was having a little bit of a crisis about the total. Tata- I don't really understand that bit of it. Um, uh, he he's 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 lost the plot. Is uh, what it seems. He's that, got his so- girlfriend out there with him a wife now they got married apparently yeah
3: that i mean that does that did strike me as odd and what Then he got married <laughs> no <laughs> he went to no that he was so disappointed in what the
1: western intelligence agencies were doing that he flew all the way to oh wait for it hong kong and then went oh actually i'm gonna go to russia now like so, so uh Any kind of examples
2: of abusive powers in either of those (laughs) countries? The EFF. Mm. So EFF lawyers, after he came out, uh, they started to look at representation. EFF lawyers were talking about where they could send him, so they were talking about sending him to Ecuador and to Iceland, places that had no non-extradition stuff. And he's like, "Nah, Russia." Yeah, what's what's wrong with the Ecuadorian embassy? <laughs>
0: yeah, we could all live in an Equ- in a broom cupboard in the Ecuadorian embassy for years. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the fact is there are tens of thousands of people who work in the intelligence agencies and you can name on one hand the people that have gained press coverage for leaking this out so either there's a load of people who are doing stuff that is uh, ethically morally questionable day in day out or some people who want to get personal uh, notoriety have decided to go into uh, press like wikileaks or in this example there are a thousand different internal routes. If you have a question, a a concern, there is independent... um, representatives if you have an ethical uh, question and these weren't these weren't put in place post Snowden leaks these have been in place for decades and every single person is security cleared and vetted in order to make sure that they can handle the kind of work you know I remember uh, vividly from my uh, first security clearance interview uh, the, uh, I'm half Czech, so one of the questions that they asked me in that interview is it uh, do you have an issue with the UK um, having a nuclear uh, deterrent? Um, and uh, when you, uh, when England and the Czech Republic play football, who do you support? The, the question of patriotism, the question of identity, the question of um, belief in what the agencies do, it's core to the employment of every single person in those agencies. So the fact that there's so few people that have leaked it, leaked anything about what's going on, it, for me, says that Snowden... Snowden's leaks were his own personal profile building rather than anything I else. I see the
0: rationale and I understand I understand what you're saying. Um but I think it, it, sort sort of the the gray area is is not things that are like you know something is explicitly and obviously you know unethical. Like that's a that's a different thing too. There is a gray there is a gray area of ethics and uh, a person thinks it's important enough to let the rest of the world know that that's what's that that's what's happening now in in this context i that we began this podcast with me reading a story about how you know a, a a high a high court in in the u.s has ruled that 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 mass surveillance was was illegal so
1: it's very important to say that all of GCHQ's work is carried out in accordance with a strict legal and policy framework, which ensures our activities are authorised, necessary
3: and proportionate.
0: Oh,
1: God. Um,
0: that is no, the legal guy. <laughs> uh, that, well, uh, in fairness, it, we can probably just stop now because that cleared up everything.
2: For me. It's important to say that. So. He didn't just WikiLeaks this. He didn't just come in and go. Here's hundreds of thousand documents. Like publish them all. Like they were selective about what he wanted to release. So they made sure that they were releasing stuff about programs that may exist, uh, but they made sure not to reveal anything that implicated individuals. Uh, According to uh, the one of the defensive courses, 1.5 million documents uh, were stolen. And we've only seen like 65,000 of those. There's a significant portion of content that he may uh, still have in his possession that was never released. And this includes stuff that was like exactly how they're doing that intercept, how to avoid uh, those things. And he chose not to release those, so... It, it wasn't just Carte Blanche release everything is what I'm, is what I'm well, saying. Well, that's,
3: that's my my question about the going back to the kind of insider cybersecurity side of things. So he chose not to, and and as we have said, the Guardian um, writers have did a really good job of of not uh, making that data, you know, um, getting any data out there that was dangerous to operations and things like that. But how do we know the both the journalist and uh, Edward Snowden? kept that data secure themselves like I, I remember from Citizen Four they go through basically Edward Snowden is teaching uh, Laura Petraeus about how to um, use encryption how to secure have secure password like literally he's teaching them as in, in a hotel room in Hong Kong like what happens when that so the, the journalists might have done a really good job but they now have that data if I was a Russian spy I'd just go oh, let's go, let's go to the journalist's
2: apartment, steal all that data, and now, now we're done. They like, don't need to. They, they intercepted him at the airport and he had the piece of paper with a password written on it. Like, so they, they were trans- like, the journalists were transferring data to each other, so they had to get some stuff from Brazil back to The Guardian. They loaded it onto a USB stick that was using a TrueCrypt volume, but he had the password to the TrueCrypt volume written on a piece of paper in his pocket. So when they stopped him at the airport, uh, they were able to get that, decrypt it, and take the data. So despite them training the journalists to do it properly, like they still didn't apply uh, the principles. That's my that's my question. could we, so
3: there could be other people out there that didn't want notoriety and didn't want to give it to journalists and didn't want to do all that, but gave it to the Russians or the Chinese anyway. Like that's the thing. Once you can get this data, right, what, why wouldn't it have been leaked in some other way by someone who may just want a million pounds in a in a Bitcoin account rather than rather than actually go to the journalists? That I think that's my problem with the cybersecurity side of this is how do we know all that data hasn't been shared with foreign intelligence agencies already?
0: Do you think that's really true? Because back in um back at the end of August of this year, um a special forces guy in the in the US, like a former Green Beret, who was a who was like a Russia expert it turned out that he's just been indicted for handing secrets over or being part of some sort of espionage so it, it, it obviously happens in,
3: this, in, the, in the Chinese though if lots of guys arrested but in in America um as, as spying for the Chinese recently as well it's you know it is ongoing isn't it but yeah how does it apply in this context like from a cybersecurity? background do we should they have been more secure like how did he get his hands on all that stuff and it was it ridiculous that he could get his hands on the amount of classified data in the first place what i love
1: about the um the oliver Stone uh film kind of makes him out to be this like and he's made himself out in post in post post leak to be this kind of uber like senior technical person and especially in that
2: oh, that film it takes four and a half hours as i've done it in 37 and a half minutes <laughs> so in the film edward Snowden,
1: i can't remember the, the the program that he claims to have built because he when he goes and joins is it heartbeat no it was something like back at the backup thing that he talked about that got misused which it didn't make any technical sense whatsoever, like, I, I, and I don't think it's at all related to the to anything. But what's really interesting is how big he a in the film is portrayed. Which okay, it's a dramatization, and it's got to be interesting and you know sell uh, film tickets. But he's also perpetuated this, like that he's like this super uber talker on on any topic related to data privacy, etc. But Like, the reality is, and I obviously didn't know him, but General Alexander, who was uh, the head of the NSA at the time, um, uh,
0: referenced him as a SharePoint administrator. Edward Snowden. (laughs) Yeah, his name is funny how no one can really decide... Um, what his job was and it goes anywhere from like intelligence analyst slash contractor and then that's when we hear about Booz Allen Hamilton and all that or at the other end of the spectrum it's like he ran the help desk or he was the SharePoint administrator and it's oddly enough the name that you give him depends on where you are in the spectrum of whether you love or hate him.
3: But contractor is a very broad term isn't it? You, a contractor exactly. can mean yeah. anything like oh you you were contracted in And it doesn't mean you you were doing
2: anything special. You might have just been cleaning the toilets. (laughs) To get back to what I think the original point was, is um, so he was afforded that level of access. So as an administrator, we need that level of access. Like if I'm building programs, if I'm using the data, it makes sense that I would have access to that data. That's the whole point of having security clearances. Uh, So the fact that he had access to that much data isn't a surprise. The fact that he was able to copy it onto something and walk it out of a top secret secure facility that's the interesting bit like it's like turn off usb devices like nobody should be able to plug a usb device in
1: i think we should do a little bit on this right so like let's ignore the fact that i despise the stupid prick but the um this this just went 18 (laughs) <laughs> how did kev come on if i don't want people to download all the data about our customers from our own platform what 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 are we doing to make sure this doesn't happen so uh, you know was and let's start with the human side of this right so you take an intelligence agency these people have Security cleared in the in US. This guy's obviously got security clearance through multiple agencies, first with his military training, then the CIA, then NSA. He's taking a polygraph uh, during those elements, which did feature in the film as well. Um, he's obviously then got a privileged user um, level of um, access because as a system administrator, a SharePoint uh, administrator, love, love SharePoint administrators, no offence to any uh <laughs> Disney, has access to document to to raw data stored in that system or whatever system they were using how do i stop a a uh a an employee who's upset with the quality of the podcast
2: from leaking all of that data out into the public domain so there's a there's a couple- there's a couple of things at play there so one is about data access, and then the other is uh, what DLP, data leaky prevention. So uh, when you're figuring out how much people should have access to, we talk about least privilege. So only giving them access to the amount of data that's required for them to do the job. And like we said, you're always going to have uh, employees who need that level of access. They need to be able to read everything. Like your SharePoint admin, uh, he runs SharePoint. SharePoint needs to be able to read every single document. Therefore, by extension, your admin can. So, the way you get a, you the way you get past this from a security concept is you add auditing. So I want to know every action that admin took. I want to know every file that was downloaded, everything that was uploaded. So you do audit tracking. Um, so that's how we monitor. So that's how we would know that suddenly somebody's transferred five thousand files off of a SharePoint server onto their local machine.
0: I, I think he I think he did it in a little in drips and drabs more than just like have you not have you not seen the, the film? He
2: just highlighted everything <laughs> and uh, five thousand copy windows open. Drag and drop, popped it in his pocket and off he but went. But even still, yeah. so auditing still would have highlighted this. You would still see like looking at audit logs that there's a lot of activity and maybe you could explain some of that away. Um and you can get around that. But that's your first tier, and we, we do the defense in depth. So first we limit their access, then we audit their access, uh, and then we get on the preventative measures. So if you've got it on your local machine, fine. I need to make sure you can't get it any further. Uh, so I do stuff like no USB devices, no SD cards, no Rubik's cubes allowed in the building. Um, and I make sure that you, if you can get it onto your local machine, you can't walk out with your laptop and you can't plug anything in to take it off.
3: Uh, for people uh, who didn't see the film, the, he's got the USB in, in the cube. Well, let,
0: I want Kev to explain. Kev, uh, can you tell us about it? Because you got quite excited about the Rubik's Cube. So what did, like, now we should clarify, this is heavy, heavy poetic. Like, like even by Oliver Stone standards, this is heavy poetic license taken here. But what does he do with the Rubik's Cube?
2: So in the film, he puts a micro SD card into his laptop, transfers a load of stuff down, copies it onto the SD card in seconds, um, drops it on the floor and somebody spots it and away we go. So he's now got this SD card loaded with all the documents he wants to steal. He's got to get it out of the building. Uh, So uh, he's got a Rubik's Cube. Uh, and this Rubik's Cube must be specially manufactured because a Rubik's Cube doesn't fit an SD card in by default. Um, so it's a, an extra measured large that, Rubik's Cube. Measured that, Kev. Uh, it's got a little compartment inside it. It's not just a sticker on a cube. Uh, so that's completely specially manufactured. Like he, the manufacturing process he went through to get that Rubik's Cube. Uh, and then instead of like sending everything through the scanner, he just throws it to a guard and says, hey, have you ever seen a Rubik's Cube? And the guard's like, No. Um, That's amazing. <laughs> so guard guard <laughs> plays with it and then just hands it back to him on the other side of the full body scanner. Um, yeah.
1: Why, do, why didn't he just put it in his pocket? That's why it
2: Uh Full body I'll scanner. Say. So the full body scanner still yeah, would have detected would pick it. it up, wouldn't it?
0: And it's also what's this is kind of interesting. And again, I t- either his PR is so great and he's just maintaining this like amazing mystique, but he's still not actually said how he did it. Um, so we 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 can we can take some guesses about how because like and Kev will explain you know he he had he had a level of access I think we've agreed that but it, he had to elevate his privileges surely to be able to get access to all of the, that data it's a l- lot of documents right
2: um, not necessarily like 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 Paul said if he is a SharePoint admin uh, then he will have access to everything within there and this this could explain why it's potentially 1.5 million documents instead of 10 million documents. Like he'll only have access to the data that's on the SharePoint service. And if he's doing int then he'll have access to the programs, which is ostensibly what uh, was leaked. He wasn't doing int intern- what, I have yeah.
3: read somewhere and, and I don't know if this is accurate so um, don't quote me but um I have read somewhere that he did he didn't have access to it enough and kept requesting access and did use a bit of social engineering saying like no we need it now we need it straight away uh, rather than I can't I can't wait for like your boss to get back to me that's what that's what I can't remember where I read So this that, is but.
1: this is uh, this is something that I can talk about because I don't know anything about it <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> You should
0: stick to that principle for every podcast episode. (laughs)
1: this is literally how i do every podcast i talk the most about things i know the least amount about and this is a topic so of course this is an nsa breach so when it all happened it was all it all got locked down american like Protected the whole investigation. there's all no foreign, is the c- c- code name for that, which means no foreigners. So, any UK, um, I'm sure at the very highest levels um, there was conversations, but at my worker B level, there was nothing. But, but the Reuters article, which is the one that Max is referring to there, um, suggests that uh, Edward uh, persuaded why have I called him Edward all of a sudden? It's like Is I'm it making friends? friends with him. I'm not making friends with him. <laughs> Snowden persuaded weak, gullible colleagues, probably manipulated them, the bastards. <laughs> Buster, <laughs> to give them the, to give him their passwords and um, so I don't really know why whether there was like different systems or there's some sort of segregation of access maybe Kev like that 20 diff, like using 25 people maybe they had download limits or maybe it was just baking, like say that he wasn't spotted but the, the kind of weird thing about this whole story is if he's downloading it in dribs and drabs rather than one massive dump that would be less um, detectable or whether he's doing it for multiple days or m- multiple people Of course, once he's done it, that he's got to go. Like as soon as he's got it, he leaves and he goes, gets on a plane and he goes to Hong Kong or whatever.
2: I think that's why it's more credible that like whilst he may have staged them all separately, I think it was one walkout. It's like wherever he staged them, like that's the time he took. He copied them off that laptop or off that desktop, walked them out the building in whatever way he did, and never looked back. I don't think he took stuff home separately because the risk was too great like you would never have been like I don't think he would have had the confidence to walk back in uh, after stealing The amount he did. The other thing about
1: this being an SD card, by the way, is who in the NSA decided it would be a good idea to have an SD card reader as part of the desktop? So he must have used a USB stick, not an SD card, which makes the
0: whole Rubik's Cube thing utterly ridiculous. Yeah, the Rubik's Cube is not how it happened. We know that the Rubik's Cube is an invention of the of the directors, just a really really good one. I've, I've
3: got a spy queen. And mine is a a British pound coin that you unscrew and it fits a micro SD card in the middle. Obviously never took it in any building. I
2: was going to say you've just implicated yourself quite (laughs) severely there.
3: (laughs) Yes, I am Edward Snowden.
2: Is the fact that an Edward
1: Snowden start breach in a highly security vetted environment prove that security vetting your staff actually isn't a great um, line of defense in this or actually is it just a line of defense and is a better line of defense to turn off USB or put better Dlp monitoring or or make sure that you don't do stuff that your employees would think is morally questionable so that they don't feel the need to do something uh, like this what what where, where do we stand in preventing this happening in the majority of other uh
2: situations if i um if i take a step back so if we take this away from a highly super secret sensitive government organization and put it to something that's probably more relatable to most of our audience. Um, most organizations are going to have privileged data. Um, like KFC are going to protect their recipe like nothing else. Um, but they're not air gaps. So they're going to have internet connected systems. If you've got an internet connected system with sensitive data, you've got employees, um, that you must assume breach. You must assume that an insider threat is going to get it out. Like, uh, there's no, there's only so far protective monitoring can get you. Uh, I could list like a hundred different ways that you could exfiltrate data and some of them would be easy to detect. Some of them would be extremely difficult to detect. Um, so it's all about like layering all those defenses, um, like making sure that your employees are happy, trustworthy, like maybe some basic background checks to make sure that they're not... Like, properly disgruntled, make sure they haven't come from like competitors. Um, so, those kind of things tied together with just good security hygiene. Uh, so, like, least privilege access, auditing, monitoring, uh, and if you can get it, data leakage prevention stuff.
3: <laughs> That's interesting point you say about normal normal companies i mean we we've talked before on the podcast about you know your sock team who are monitoring these logs and, and there's things like there's loads of false positives because if you set the you know someone someone downloads one kilobyte rather than one gigabyte or something it all goes off and then people turn off the you know obviously monitoring that is a, a full-time job in itself um clearly if these monitoring things were in place, someone missed them. So where for a normal company, how do you even go about doing that, that stuff and making sure you, you catch the real stuff and not the the stuff that people are doing for everyday job.
2: A, a big part of what we do is um, like rule tuning uh, and log tuning. So uh it, but you'll typically start off with like your, your, your first day installing your security equipment and it says, like, we can ingest 5 billion logs a day. And It's like, great, turn all the logs on. Like, more data is better. Uh, and then you start to find yourself flooded with stuff. And false positive fatigue is, a, like, a completely valid thing. Uh, so it's important that you tune your rules. So false positive fatigue is where an analyst gets comfortable recognizing something and goes, oh, we see that all the time, therefore it mustn't be anything. Uh, so tuning your logs down, so your logs are generating the right amount of information, uh, and then tuning your rules. Um, so if I've got we we've got uh, rules looking for people attempting to brute force, um, and we have to tweak what those values are for our users because when they ship out the factory, it's like if somebody tries five times followed by a successful login, then you've just been brute forced arguably somebody could have forgotten their password and they've tried five times and logged in. Uh, so you have to take context uh, into account with those default rules and tweak them uh, and tune them for what your organization needs. And that's how socks work. Uh, and we used to have a, a weekly meeting uh, a place I've worked where it was like, let's have a look at the false positive rate. Let's have a look at the rules. Let's see where we can tune them up, tune them down. Uh, remove them, add more coverage, or adjust the logs. It's a like I said, it's full time work for a security team to monitor this. And the larger your organization gets, uh, the more data you have, the more traffic you have, the more logs you have to analyze. The easier it is to slip something through.
3: And I assume now, since the intelligence agencies have vastly expanded, the people that are monitoring their own people, um, I, th- I assume that must must have happened.
0: I can't believe that they weren't before. I I can't believe that that an intelligence agency isn't, you know, closely watching logs to see how data is being accessed. They must be. So it feels to me like what this actually ended up being was a little bit of a perfect storm. The fact that he was, he was controlling or, or was administering a system that was handling documents like in this case the sharepoint the SharePoint server it feels to me like the sharepoint thing is actually the root of all of the problems because he was able to have this system begin to ingest more and more and more data that he had as kev has already said kind of almost godlike access to and so the idea that he was maneuvering or manipulating that data in some way would not have seemed like an anomaly to those looking at those logs and i think that's probably what ended up happening when there was a load of conjecture going on about what he had done back you know you know back when this happened there was all this stuff about you know He must have escalated privileges or he must have social engineered people or, you know, all this clever stuff that he must have done. Uh, Like one of them was even like, oh, he must have forged certificates and all this stuff. But the reality may have been that he was a guy in Hawaii running SharePoint and like he just wasn't getting watched that closely
2: it's very easy to look at the more complex things. Like when we talk about malware infections, like they get really complex, they privesc, they hide themselves, they avoid detection. They've got really complex C2, but we've got really good detections on that. The insider threat is the thing that's so hard uh, to think about. And especially when you take it away from a normal user. So um, a a normal, and I don't want to belittle all salespeople uh, or non-technical groups, but you don't. They don't recognise. They don't understand your systems. They don't understand how data flows. Uh, so it's going to be significantly harder for that tier of your organization. When you hit the admins, they understand the systems. They understand the network. They understand where stuff's being logged, where it's being noted, so they can work around that. And if you've got, I, I would, I would say that if you've got a disgruntled admin. There is nothing you can do that will stop them taking data. If they if they want to, they're going to get it out, uh, and you wouldn't know until afterwards. I feel like and
0: and, and there are assistant privileged access management systems exist in order to attempt to address this um, this challenge through things like audit trail and screen recording and and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it feels like that's still quite a hard thing to implement in a widespread way that still means it's effective because at the end of the day, as you just said, Kev, it still comes down to that one person who, because they administer the system, they have access to all the data. And it feels to me like we might have been having this conversation for the last 20 years why is it still that net the way that networks work mean that because you administer a system you have access to all the data on it there's got to be a better way of making something work than that
2: there is and you can compartmentalize um so you can say that the servers have access to that data and i have access to configure the date the servers but don't have access to the raw data but again you're going to hit a point where If I'm administering the server and I'm telling it what it's allowed to do, then I can just add whatever rules I want in. So what you get into is you get like checks and balances. So as an administrator, I will have another administrator and he will review the audit logs and go, actually, Kev, why did you disable all audit logging for the top secret uh, folder? Uh, That seems a bit odd to me. Uh, So it's having those checks and balances, not having any one person with all the control, or if you do, have somebody else with the same level of access that you also trust, and they're checking each other. Like, that to my rule.
1: Anyway, right, on the internet, at the minute, um General Keith Alexander, who has become a, a director on AWS's uh, uh, board uh, of directors, and so now... And think about how ridiculous this is. Now, Snowden, the F- Electronic Frontier Foundation, blah, 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 like, people, uh, like... Uh, I'm surprised the Guardian's not in there. So I'm sure it will be. Um, I'm having a oh the Libertarian Party. They're having a massive rant about the fact that now AWS aws is spying on you because general keith alexander has joined the board could it possibly be the case that aws want to win, win the one billion billion uh, dollar jedi contract and that's why they put the ex director of nsa on the board not because he's going to completely corrupt the whole of
0: aws to spy on your websites that are hosted on aws ridiculous i thought the u.s government i thought the u.s government had already given it to microsoft Let's talk while we still have time, though, quickly about Eternal Blue. NSA had a load of tools
1: compromised. Is it? Is that, Do I have to say allegedly on this, or is this actually name fact? No,
0: it's, that's, yeah, that's in the public domain, yeah.
1: Okay, well, I, I, it was after I left, so I know nothing about it, so it's brilliant. I can definitely
2: talk about this. Um, the um, <laughs> so It was an internal contractor that leaked their tool set. Uh, yeah, so Shadow Brokers was an internal contractor who had access, in, so it's, it's that, the exact same flow. Stuff being used by... Um, You know, the National Security
0: Agency by the intelligence services or security services then gets leaked and now is like in widespread use um, amongst, you know, cyber criminals and all sorts of malicious actors. Um, And that means that there's not just a responsibility for an agency like that to control their data for the purposes of protecting... maybe in the case of Snowden, protecting their own reputation or protecting their operational integrity, but also they had a responsibility to protect the citizens of the world, which it seems like they failed to do by allowing, you know, all these other threat actors to now start using something like Eternal Blue for things like WannaCry, um, you know, and and now a shit ton of other um, threats, including, of course, um, cryptocurrency miners.
1: (laughs) (laughs) what? What's really, uh, what, I mean, the thing you're putting your finger on, interestingly there, Chris, is that the fact that if this was uh, agency released or a cache of um, zero days, of course, in the wrong hands has then resulted in a load of um, actual mal- malicious actors installing crypto miners. But of course, they could have just done the responsible disclosure. (laughs) They
0: they really should have. The other thing is, this was four years after Snowden. That's quite a long time to try to put in place, um, you know, securing that infrastructure. You know, even uh, officials going on the record saying, you know, clearly a bad job was done uh, of securing this stuff when it's so you know, potentially powerful and destructive. Um, there's as much of a weight of responsibility on securing that stuff as there is, I would say, on securing, you know, things like um, you know, personal information and 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 stuff like that. So can we think of anything else that we uh that we wanted to cut? Co- I mean, we obviously haven't covered everything. There's, but...
2: there's, I think there's one thing I'd like to say. Um and like again regardless of whether you think he did the right thing or the wrong thing like security on the internet is significantly more improved uh, the levels of privacy we have as individuals significantly improved and they're a direct ramification of the kind of things he was talking about so these projects are talking about dragnets they're talking about uh, cable intercepts um and technologies like Google, like Amazon, like most mail providers, HTTPS have put blocks in place to prevent that from happening. So even if somebody was able to intercept, uh, they wouldn't be able to do anything with the data without uh, significant levels of support from the organizations running it. Whilst I'm all in favor of balance. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think you might be suffering here from a, uh, a, a bout of correlation causation, Kev. I think mean, what we've seen over the last seven years is the internet security has improved, no question. Uh, but computing power has got higher, so it's easier to do um, SSL termination more frequently everywhere. So it's—I mean—I don't think you can credit that shitbag with all of that.
0: <laughs> don't thank Snowden. Thank Moore's law. Just a, f- just a fact. Thank Moore's Law. Fact. Thank you. Yeah, That seems like a great place to come to an end. Turns out Cybersecurity Podcast ends up saying, you know what? Moore's Law is a thing. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe, rate, and comment wherever you get your audio content. And if you want to know more about Immersive Labs, you can find us at ImmersiveLabs.com or follow us on Twitter at immersive labs UK. Until next time, from all of us, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.
1: Hey, you know what? I think we did pretty well there, boys. I don't feel like I'm about to go to jail. Anybody else think I'm about to go to jail?